0: Let us look together at the Gospel of John, chapter 6, once again. And we want to read verses 52 through 59. And by God's grace, cover this portion of this chapter. John 6, beginning at verse 52, it says. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And may God bless the reading of Holy Scripture to our hearts Verse 59 serves as a good introduction and reminder of the setting of John chapter 6. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Historians tell us that normal teaching days in the synagogues were what we would call Saturday or Sabbath and Monday and Thursday. So it is likely that it was one of these three days. We don't know which. When our Lord spoke these words and was teaching in that synagogue. But it was obviously a very great privilege for the the town, we might even say the village of Capernaum, to have the Son of God incarnate as a man in their synagogue, teaching them. And he seems to have spent more time there over the period of his public ministry than most places. Capernaum was something of a hub for him. It's where many of his disciples were from. In another place, the Lord Jesus calls the opportunity and privilege that the people of Capernaum had as being exalted unto heaven. Well, let us not take lightly the privilege that we have to read the inspired account of these things and to read the words of Christ that he spoke that day. We, too, are exalted to heaven. Our our privileges are enormous, and let us not waste them. Let us hear the word of God today. With the privilege of hearing comes great responsibility to believe, and to follow. May God help us all. We come then to verse 52. Verse 52 is following, of course, on what the Lord had just said in verse 51 in particular. He said there in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, that's a very stunning statement for these Jews to hear. And it says that, Therefore, upon this, they strove among themselves. They were fighting and... uh, Disputing, we might say, among themselves. Earlier, in verse 41, we saw them murmuring at Christ. Now the murmuring has escalated to arguing and fighting. And it makes us wonder exactly what was going on here. It may be that there were some who were more sympathetic and in agreement with what Christ was saying and understood what he was saying, and there were others who were not and who were opposed and maybe offended at all that he was saying. And we see that kind of division in other portions. In chapter 7 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 here of the Gospel of John, we see different ones and some are defending him more than others and some are accusing him and so on. But I, as I read John chapter 6 and see where it all ends, the picture that I get here of the Jews striving among themselves is more like... dogs barking at a pedestrian <clears throat> there's a course that I enjoy walking in my neighborhood uh, most days when when I can and when the weather's good and uh, there's there's a neighbor who has two big german shepherd dogs they're fenced in thankfully a good fence And when they hear me or see me coming, they start barking and they run as fast as they can to the fence. And if that fence weren't there, they would eat me alive, I have no doubt. And they bark and they jump and they're just beside themselves because I'm there. Once in a while, they kind of bump into each other. And then they bark and bite at each other for a few moments. And then they turn their attention back to me once again and are both barking and uh, wanting to come after me. That's kind of what I see here among the Jews. I think they're all, except for the the, the, the twelve and uh, maybe a few others, the majority of them here are so upset with what they're hearing from the Lord Jesus, that they're just upset. And they're upset with each other, and they're upset with him. And what they're upset about is what he said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Which is what he had just said there in verse 51. You would think that the miracle of the day before would at least have given them some pause. If they had remembered how that he fed them miraculously with five loaves and two small fish, that they would have thought, well, maybe he's able to do more than we imagine. But they seem to have short memories. And they simply are taking his words in the most Literal and earthly, we might say carnal way, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It reminds us in a way of Nicodemus, who says when Jesus talks to him about being born again, he says, how can a man be born again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This seems to have been maybe in a way the Achilles heel of the Jewish people. That they wanted to take everything that Christ said in a literal way when at least sometimes what he said should have been taken in a figurative and symbolic way. The woman at the well. Jesus says, I'll give you living water. She says, well, you don't even have a a way to get down into the well and, and, and draw water out. What are you talking about? And so on. Our Lord was teaching heavenly things with earthly words. We might say, in a way, he, he's speaking in parables, even though that word is not used here. And because the people insisted on this uh, crassly literal understanding of what Jesus was saying, they missed his teaching, they missed his point, they were offended. All they could hear was some kind of cannibalism. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, there's a lesson here for us. Let us make sure that we do not stumble as they did with insisting on a purely... Earthly or literal understanding of things when Jesus is speaking figuratively and symbolically. Well, that brings us then to our Lord's response. And what we have in verse 53 through verse 58 is undoubtedly among the most Surprising and difficult of Christ's words. We might call this his difficult sayings. It's in verse 60. It's called a hard saying, hard to grasp, hard to accept and understand. Look at verse 53. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say, unto you. Let me just pause there once again. This is the fourth time in John chapter six that we've seen Jesus preface some statement with these words. Verily or truly, truly, he repeats it for emphasis. And we only see that in in John's account in the Gospel of John. Verily, verily, I say Unto you. It's as if he's saying, this is especially important. Hear me well. Except ye eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. I must confess, though I have read John chapter 6 many times over the years, when I read this verse, it it still is a little shocking to me. This isn't the way that we normally talk. And these aren't phrases that we normally use, are they? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. If the multitude was confused by what Jesus was saying up until now, how much more confused must they have been once they heard him say this? It's as if Jesus is saying to them, far from doubting what I mean by my flesh being the bread that I will give. The fact is, if you don't eat my flesh... You won't live. You won't have eternal life. And if that's not enough, I will introduce a new concept. Not only must you eat my flesh, you must drink my blood also. You can imagine the shock in the minds of these people. As I said, it's almost enough to shock us as we read it. You recall, in the Old Testament law, the drinking of blood was forbidden. The Lord here is using terms that, that would be just shocking and, and, and difficult to them. Let me remind you of this. Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood... I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and and so on. There's several verses that go into it there. So the idea of drinking blood of any kind was repulsive to the Jewish people. And drinking Christ's blood was unimaginable. Cannibalism was unthinkable to them the time or two that we see cannibalism in the old testament it is it is just a, a an outrage and a shock but that's what these people are hearing Jesus say and perhaps it it comes as a shock to us to some extent to read it even here today Well, we might ask the question why did Jesus add to their confusion with such a mysterious, difficult statement as this? Why did he not back off some? Why did he not maybe explain things or say things in a clearer way? Well, I would suggest at this point just a couple of possibilities. Perhaps it was to show them how far from understanding him they really were. Stating things in this rather, can we say, extreme way would show them how far from his thought and his knowledge that they were. Or perhaps he uses this language as something of a test to test their faith to see if they would believe his words even if they did not fully grasp the meaning of his words. Did they trust him to tell the truth even if they couldn't fully put it all together? In other words, he's exposing their own unbelief by phrasing things as he did. Perhaps we should look within our own souls and ask, do we believe that the Lord Jesus speaks the truth in Holy Scripture even though we don't fully understand things sometimes ourselves? Whatever the case, I would point out the word accept here. Unless he is speaking of an absolute necessity. Something that is absolutely essential. Whatever he means by eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it is something that is absolutely essential and of utmost importance. It is something that is essential to life, and without it, there's only death. He's not talking about something secondary or something optional. It is something absolutely necessary. One old writer says, The Jews asked about the possibility of eating his flesh. Jesus replied by declaring the necessity of it. They're concerned about how. And he goes even further and says, you must. It's essential. So as is so often the case in the word of God, a difficult verse or statement is explained in the context. And so it is here. Beginning in verse 54, the Lord Jesus makes the same point, but he states it in a positive way. In verse 53, it's stated negatively, if you don't eat and drink my flesh and blood, you have no life. He turns around and says it positively here. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, not death, but life And I will raise him up at the last day. And with this closing part of of the sentence there in verse 54, Jesus begins to unfold and explain what he meant by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It is that which is necessary for eternal life, and being raised up at the last day. Now, the Lord had already spoken more than once to this audience on this day, as recorded in John chapter 6, about being raised up at the last day, that is, the resurrection of, of the redeemed at the last day. The first mention was in verse 40, which says, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. There's the same phrase as in verse 54. And I will raise him up at the last day. Again, the same phrase that we see in verse 54. Furthermore, down in verse 47, he said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Which again corresponds with what he says in verse 54. Hath eternal or everlasting life. The same blessing of life and being raised up at the last day, eternal life, that he speaks of in verse 54. He speaks of in these other passages. And this is how we understand. This This is how Jesus explains what he means. By eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It is parallel to believing on him. Verse 40. It is parallel to believing on him. Verse 47. And when we were in those particular verses in weeks past, we pointed out how that believing on him is parallel, is simply another way of saying to come to him, which terminology is used in verse 37 and 44 and 45. To eat the flesh of Christ and drink the blood of Christ is to believe on Him. It is to come to Him. The parallelism explains it that way. This solves the puzzle and removes the difficulty. I think it is worth pointing out that the Lord uses a different word for eat here uh, in verse 54 and in the following verses when he's uh, referring to spiritual eating, referring to faith. Though it's a synonym with the word used earlier here in John chapter 6, perhaps there's a shade of meaning in this term that This is the term we would use if we wanted to speak of chewing, perhaps. As if he's determined to stretch their minds to the limits. I think even more significant is that the eating and drinking here is not a one-time action only We could literally translate this, verse 54, He who is eating my flesh and is drinking my blood hath eternal life. Faith in Christ is not just a one-time action of the soul. It is a lifelong action. It is a lifelong habit And our daily eating of of earthly food for the sustaining of of earthly life is, is a marvelous illustration of this daily trusting in Christ, daily exercise of confidence and trust and dependence upon Him for spiritual life day by day. The action of faith in the soul of a Christian does not end until it is turned into sight, till faith is turned into sight in realms of glory. And so in light of verse 54, which I say solves the mystery, explains the meaning of the, 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 the parable kind of language, of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Let's ask the question again. Why does the Lord state it in these terms? Why doesn't he just say, whoever believes in me? And I I, I think the answer may be found in this way. He, He is determined to show that the object of our trust is specifically His sacrifice of Himself, His death on the cross. It is to a crucified Christ that we come by faith. It is a crucified Christ who is the object of our trust. When He said at the end of verse 51, the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world, We pointed out last time that this is our Lord Jesus in his own terms, his own words, showing us substitutionary atonement, substitutionary death in place of his people. And he's following up with that here in verses 53 and 54 to emphasize that our salvation is through an incarnate God-man. One who came in flesh and blood in order that his flesh might be nailed to a Roman cross and in order that his blood might flow from his body in that brutal death down to the ground His continuing to use this figurative language here is to emphasize that if we are to be saved, we must trust in a crucified Christ. One who shed his blood and gave his flesh, gave his very body on the cross. Now, before we go any further, we need to ask one more question. Is the Lord referring here to the Lord's Supper? No. (laughs) That's just the short, simple answer. No, he's not referring to the Lord's Supper. He is referring to a spiritual reality that is pictured and symbolized in the Lord's Supper. But he's not referring to the Supper itself. In fact, the Lord's Supper had not yet been instituted, had it? It would be a whole year before he would meet with the disciples in the upper room and and begin the ordinance, commence the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. At this point, no one was thinking about the Lord's Supper. No one was thinking of anything like a symbolic memorial meal. you probably already know that there are some who say, yes, he was referring to the Lord's Supper or to what they now call the Mass. It is the teaching of Roman Catholicism that Jesus was talking about the Lord's Supper or, what again, what they call the Mass. And that salvation is partly bestowed, partly conferred, Grace is partly received by participating in the Lord's Supper. They teach the doctrine of transubstantiation, which is that the elements there, the bread and the wine become, are changed into The literal body and blood of Jesus when they are blessed by the priest. So that it is not symbolic of his body and blood, they say, but it is actually his body and blood. And this is one of the passages that they build that upon. It shows that their thinking was no better than the blinded Jews of Jesus' day. They believe that when the priest says the right words, that this miraculous transformation occurs. When he says, hocus pocus, the magic is done. And if you're not familiar with the story, in ages past when when the people heard the mass given by their priests in Latin only. They couldn't understand what he was saying. When he said. Hoc est opus meus," This is my body. They sort of shortened that. And simplified it into hocus pocus. That's the origin of the word. Because they understood They're thinking. And what they were taught was that. When he says this is my body. That the miracle takes place. And so to this day, we have come to use the the phrase hocus-pocus to indicate some sort of a magical transformation. Of course, the Roman Catholics turn around and only give the bread to the people and withhold the wine from them. You would think that If they're going to take this that literally that they would make sure that everyone eats his flesh and drinks his blood, but only the priest gets to drink his blood. But more significantly, we know this is not referring to the Lord's Supper. And we can prove that by asking two questions. Number one, has there ever been anyone who did not take the Lord's Supper who was saved? Yes, probably quite a few. Beginning with the repentant thief on the cross. And the other question is, has there ever been anyone who took the Lord's Supper but remained lost in sin? And again, we must say, Unfortunately, probably many. So this cannot be what Jesus is talking about here. Because what he's talking about here is essential to salvation. Verse 53. And it is sure to bring salvation. Verse 54. And so the Lord's Supper is not in view here. But before we leave this. Let me read you a little quotation here by J.C. Ryle. And I think he has some insight here. He says, rather than the Lord referring to the Lord's Supper here, he says, the truth of the matter, I believe, lies precisely in the opposite direction. I believe that afterwards, when our Lord appointed the Lord's Supper, he had in view the doctrine of this text and used words intended to remind the disciples of the doctrine. But here, I believe he was speaking of something far higher and greater than the Lord's Supper. When he spoke of the lesser thing in the upper room with the disciples, I have no doubt that he intended to refer to the greater, that is, his own suffering and death and to turn the disciples' mind back to it. But when he spoke as he did here of the greater thing, I am quite unable to believe that he intended to refer to the lesser. End quote. To kind of simplify that, let me just say this. Looking back from our present perspective, we may see some... Uh, shades of the Lord's Supper here in as much as Jesus is speaking of the spiritual reality that the Lord's Supper symbolizes. But we should remember that in the context of John chapter 6, Christ is speaking of action within the soul of faith in Him. And He's describing it in this picturesque way. Well, let's hasten on here. In verse 55, the Lord gives this further explanation and this reason for what He had said, for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He had spoken earlier in this chapter of being the true bread, verse 32. Now He's saying, I'm the true, or my my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. Elsewhere, he's spoken of as the true light and the true vine and and so on. There are many illustrations that that show us our Savior. He says here in so many words, My atonement is spiritual nourishment and life for hungry souls. Oh, my friend, has your hungry soul come to feed on Christ and to drink of Christ? Have you come to believe on him? In other words. And then he explains something further about salvation in verse 56. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Redemption through Christ involves union with him. A mutual indwelling of him in us and we in him it's the word that is used again in John chapter 15, several times where Jesus speaks of abiding in the vine and abiding in him or dwelling remaining. It's the same word all the way through. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood abides in me, dwells in me. And I in Him. Or as Paul says to the Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Saving faith brings us into this union with Christ so that we are, as Paul says, members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. And the Lord lays that out briefly here in this verse. Then he goes on and and enlarges a bit more. Verse 57, as the living father hath sent me and I live by the father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. It's, It's marvelous here to see how that he calls the father in heaven, the living father. He had spoken of himself in verse 51 as the living bread. Now he speaks of the living father. The one who is the author of life. The one who is the, the source of life. And he's drawing a parallel here. As the father, as the living father has sent me and I live by him. And I take that to be referring to his, his human nature in particular. His life as a man on earth was given and, and continued by the Father. And in parallel fashion, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Just as the Son on earth as a man received life from the Father in heaven... So those who believe on Christ or who eat and drink of him receive life from him. He said to the disciples there in the upper room, because I live, ye shall live also. That's something of a commentary upon John 6, 57 here. There's many other scriptures that we could draw upon uh, that say the same thing. But I'll go on and ask you this question then. Is Christ your life? Do you derive life from Him? Is your life all about Christ? Can you say with Paul, for me to live is Christ? If you, if you simplified and summarized your life in one word, what would it be? If you're a Christian, that one word is Christ Himself. For me to live, you know, how many people, well, I live to eat. Or I live to work. I live for vacations. Paul says, my life is Christ. It's all summed up in him. And if you can say that, my friend, in honesty before God, if Christ is your all in all, Then when you die, you will experience a great gain. Because that's the rest of the verse in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If your life is anything else, then when you die, there will be a great loss. An unspeakable, immeasurable, irretrievable loss. And so, in verse 58, we have really a summary here of all that Christ had said in this section. And it's as if he collates all different parts and brings them all together here. This is that bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. He says, I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm not talking about earthly material things. I'm not talking about manna that your ancestors ate that couldn't give everlasting life. I'm talking about spiritual life and spiritual bread and spiritual eating and spiritual drinking. And when he only mentions eating here in a couple of places here in 57 and 58, it implies the drinking component also, obviously. He's just speaking in a summary way here. He says, the spiritual bread is my life laid down in death that gives everlasting life to whoever believes, that is to whoever eats. And so there's no need for any confusion about what Jesus is saying here in these verses. He explains himself adequately, does he not? We are to spiritually eat and drink of him as a crucified Savior. The action of faith in our souls is to appropriate his saving work It is to take him in and derive life from him that is everlasting life. And I'll just emphasize this. Oh, may God emphasize it to us himself. It's absolutely essential. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. If you don't trust in this crucified Christ who laid down his life and gave his body and his blood for our salvation, then you're dead. You have no life. And oh, you need him and you need the life. That only he can give. Look to him. Come to him. Believe on him. Eat and drink of him. And for those who know what it is to have this life. And what it is to eat and drink of him. And who trust in him. Let us preach this message to ourselves every day and renew our repentance from our sin and renew our faith in a crucified Savior every day. Eating and drinking of Christ, that is, believing on Him, is a daily Privilege of the child of God, and let us take advantage of it.